Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of the Trinity, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcasts, I was explaining that many people have made sincere attempts in order to try to explain this particular doctrine. Many people have made sincere, honest attempts to try to explain and describe the very nature of God so that we can understand Him in a greater way. And the traditional model by which we go in order to try and describe the character of our God in the context of the Trinity is to go into the scriptures and analyze the scriptures so that perhaps we might be able to come to a conclusion with regards to who our God is. And when approaching the scriptures in this perspective, it's very easy to look at the scriptures from an academic exercise from the point of view of an academic exercise, in order to try to figure out the nature and very character of our God. But this is not something that we are ever going to be able to understand through academically going through the scriptures and analyzing them and processing them and resolving any conflicts that we may perceive exist there. The scriptures were given to us by our God so that we could certainly know him, There's no doubt about that whatsoever. However, he did make it very clear that the only way that you can understand your God, the only way that you can know him, is through him revealing himself to you. That even though we do have the text at our disposal, the various texts that comprise the Bible, even though we do have that, without the Spirit of God and dwelling within us, there is no way that he will be able to reveal himself to us individually and personally. In a certain way, you could look at this as our God protecting himself from those who are not born again of the Spirit of God, and those who are not born again of the Spirit of God cannot be led by him, cannot be instructed by him, cannot truly come to know him. And so those who are lost will never be able to figure out who our God is or really come to know who he is without being resurrected from the dead. They cannot just figure him out by studying the scriptures. This is an important point to understand. But when people make sincere attempts to try to describe the very nature of God, to describe who he is, in many cases, people do not understand. Even those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, they still do not quite understand what many people are attempting to describe. And yet there is such strong conviction, there is such sincere conviction with regards to certain beliefs that people will take such a strong position as telling someone else that if they don't understand something, then they could potentially go to hell. And this has been brought up with regards to the subject of the Trinity, that people have been justifying their positions by saying that you may not be able to understand the Trinity... If you do attempt to understand the Trinity, it is possible that you might even lose your mind trying to figure out all of the potential contradictions that may exist. You could very well lose your mind trying to understand everything, 
But if you do not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, you could very well lose your soul. And so people will justify their positions, in effect, by strong-arming their position, by threatening people, by saying that if you don't understand precisely what it is that I am trying to convey, then you could very well lose your soul. Perhaps you're not going to be saved. That this is something that you may not be able to comprehend, but it is definitely something that you need to apprehend. Now, I understand that many people can be satisfied with such statements as these. They can be satisfied with conclusions such as these. But I personally am not one of these people. I personally do not want to defer my conclusions to saying things like, well, you may not be able to understand it, but you better apprehend it. Or you may not be able to grapple with it or understand it in your mind. But if you try to, then you're going to lose your mind. And so just believe what I'm telling you. I certainly am not going to rest my conclusions on such statements, which are in effect, from my point of view, a form of spiritual extortion that can, in fact, lead people into a lot of bondage, to say the least. And so given that, I am just simply giving my attempt to try to describe the nature of God in context of the subject of the Trinity. And what I have done in the previous broadcasts is give a clear description of the character of God in terms of perspective, that you can simply look at it from two perspectives. You can look at it from our perspective, looking at our Father in Heaven, at our God in Heaven, Or you could look at it from the perspective of our God looking down to us, attempting to reveal himself. Now, from our perspective, there are limitations that we have because we are people with finite minds. We are finite created beings that do not have the ability to capture, understand, apprehend, experience the fullness of our God. We certainly are not going to be able to experience the totality of who he is or understand the totality of who he is. We are a created being created by our God, and there are simply limitations. There are many things that we will not be able to understand, and it is okay to accept that reality. It is not necessary for us to understand everything about our God. We only need to understand enough. We only need to understand certain things. And what that really represents in terms of what is enough or what is certain things, of course, we can depend and trust in our God that he will reveal to each one of his children specifically what those things are. I do sincerely believe that everyone needs to understand the gospel, and if they do not understand the gospel, then they quite likely are not saved, and if they are not saved, then they are not going to have a relationship with him to begin to grow in him and receive from him these understandings, these truths, these relational qualities. They're not going to be able to really experience him unless they are resurrected from the dead, which is what salvation is about. It is about the restoration of the Holy Spirit to indwell within us humanity, to re-indwell within us that had been lost in Adam and Eve so that we can become alive to our God. And once we are alive to him, then we can begin to experience a relationship with him. But there are many questions that people have that need to be answered. Many people have sincere questions with regards to this subject, or this subject also leads to more questions being asked. For example, consider the question of who do we actually pray to? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus said that we are to pray to the Father. And yet in later passages, for example, as recorded in John chapter 14, verse 14, he said that if you ask me anything, I will do it, with reference to praying to the Lord Jesus. Well, this has to do with perspective, as I was describing just a few moments ago. It has to do with how you look at the situation. It depends on how you look at your God. 
If you look at it from our perspective, we have distinct limitations with regards to what we can understand and what we can handle and what we can grapple with at any given time. And so if we are to understand our God, he is going to have to reveal himself to us in small ways, in small pieces, in small descriptions, in small aspects, and so that we can understand the fullness of who he is. But because these descriptions are sometimes given to us in distinct categories, in distinct moments in time when he taught to his believers, to his disciples certain things, to his people certain things, when he revealed himself in small ways, it's very easy for us to create walls and barriers between these descriptions, suggesting that these are divisions, that these are distinctions that describe perhaps different persons, different personalities. And this is where the problem happens. It happens when we start describing him in different persons, in different personalities. When we do so, it's very easy to start thinking of multiple gods as opposed to one God. And no matter how many times people will say, I do not believe in more than one God, when they start talking about him as distinct persons then it's very easy for people to hear them saying two different things simultaneously, which does happen in many cases in Christianity in various subjects, forgiveness being one of them, of course, and so we shouldn't be completely surprised that this does happen on occasion. But this is definitely a subject where people do get confused, and many people do step away from the faith because of the confusions that are given when this subject comes up. And so please understand that this does have importance. From our perspective, we might look at a statement such as this with regards to the Sermon on the Mount and what I quoted in John chapter 14, verse 14. We may look at this and say something like, well, sometimes you pray to the Father and other times you pray to the Lord Jesus. But understand that this is just simply a way of describing the limitations that we have, not that our God has. When we suggest that there are times that we pray to the Father versus times when we pray to the Son, it's only because of the confusion that we have, but it is because of the limitations that we have. We have limitations in terms of what we can grapple with at any given time. And when the Lord Jesus began his ministry, he did not start by saying, look, I am God manifested in the flesh. He didn't start that way. He first spoke about the Father in heaven, the God who has created all things, the one who has begotten all things, and the one who is involved in our lives to reveal himself and to do his perfect work and to perform his perfect will. That's who he was revealing. After that, later on, he was able to reveal himself as God manifested in the flesh and that people could actually pray to him also. But this is a gradual development revealing the nature of God one piece at a time. From our perspective, we might look at it as two different persons. However, from God's perspective, from his perspective, it is he looking down to us revealing himself as a father and revealing himself as a son as the Lord Jesus. He became flesh. He manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us. This was a manifestation of God, a part of him, a piece of him, a small description of him, so that we can collectively assemble all of these things together and have a better picture of the fullness of who our God truly is. So it depends on your perspective, and that is my conclusion. From our perspective looking up to our God, it is very easy, and I certainly can understand the doctrine of the Trinity. But from the perspective of our God looking down to us, the doctrine of the Trinity could easily be interpreted truly as tritheism. 
it could very easily be understood as a doctrine of believing in multiple gods. Regardless of how many protests are presented to the contrary, it can very well be that conclusion. It can very well be that conclusion. And for those who want to deny it, it could just simply be because they are confused themselves, which does happen on occasion. Regardless of that, let me move forward and consider some individual passages in scriptures. Consider Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Referring to the Lord Jesus, this is Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Being the image of the invisible God, he is the very reflection of our God. He is the firstborn over all creation in the sense that he was the first person born into this world, spiritually alive with the Holy Spirit already indwelling within him. Continuing on in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. This is a description of the Lord Jesus that all things in this world were created through him and for him. Now, the Lord Jesus is primarily identified as our God who manifested in the flesh, who provided us with salvation by dying for the sins of humanity. And he rose from the dead in order to restore to us or offer to us the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam so that we can also be resurrected from the dead. And so that is the perfect work of the Lord Jesus, and the Lord our God, the Creator, created the entire universe that we know, the heavens and the earth. He created all things that are indwelling and operating within this earth that are visible or invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, referring especially to the demonic spirits that even they have a role in our salvation, in our coming to know our God through the restoration of the Holy Spirit, that all these things do in fact work together in concert. Now, there are some people who would look at this and say that the Lord Jesus, who was a distinct person in the Godhead, in the collective committee of God, some people look at God in that context, in fact, as a form of polytheism, even though many will try to deny it, some people actually do believe that, but they're not willing to really confess it. But regardless of that, please understand that people are looking at the Lord Jesus as a distinct God who created all things here under the supervision, in some ways, of his heavenly Father. Some people look at their God that way. I personally do not. I can understand how people looking up to their God may perceive him that way, but I personally believe from the point of view of our God looking down to us, that he created the whole world, he created all the people within it, with the full anticipation and expectation that we would fall, that we would need a Savior. And with that understanding, he created the world, being prepared to provide us with a Savior. And so I believe in that context, he created all things through the Lord Jesus, the one who reconciled all things to himself at a certain point in the history of this creation, that in that way, our God knew what was going to happen, and so he created this world with the expectation of it happening, and he was prepared for it before he laid the foundations of the world that we now understand and know around us. In that context, our God, he personally 
took that role, took that responsibility, manifested in the flesh as the Lord Jesus. And when he personally did that, he restrained himself, he constrained himself, and in doing so, he revealed how a person would truly live as a man, how he would live as a man if we were to live as he had originally intended us. So there's an awful lot to this. There's an awful lot to understand about the nature of our God when considering this subject. This is just a small piece. Let me move on in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Beginning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This again is a description of the salvation of humanity presented to us through the act of the Lord Jesus, who was in effect our God manifesting in the flesh to personally himself come down and save us from all of our sins and from the condition of spiritual death. Again in John chapter 1 verses 10 through 11. This is John chapter 1 verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. The Lord Jesus was God manifested in the flesh who made the world and he himself personally came into this world to live as a man and he did so in such a way that when he arrived people didn't even notice that he was God. He who dwells in unapproachable light reduced himself to a state, to a condition so that he could personally engage with us personally, and we could accept him or reject him on the basis of the truth that he was revealing to us about himself, about our God, that we could choose to believe in him or choose not to believe in him, that he revealed himself as a person just like us, that he lived among us, that he dwelt among us, he worked among us and with us, and he walked with us and he talked with us, with the people that were living in the time period that he chose to come During, when he came in that time era, he came in such a way that he could interact with us in a very personal, intimate way. He came to live as a man. It's critical to understand that our God chose to come and live as a man. And in choosing to do that, he chose to restrict himself in order to accomplish the tasks and purposes that he had in mind when he came. For example, he had to sleep, he had to eat. Those are distinct limitations. He chose only to know certain things and not to know other things. For example, consider Matthew chapter 24, verses 35 and 36. This is Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, referring to himself included within that, that he did not know the day or the hour that he would return. He did not know the day or the hour that the world would be transformed and changed and the new messianic kingdom would be invoked in this world. He did not know those things, but the Father only. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. 
This does give the impression that we're referring to a distinct person from the Heavenly Father. But again, it depends on our perspective. If we look at our God from our perspective, trying to understand Him, then we can see Him revealing Himself in small ways and in distinct pieces. But this doesn't diminish the fullness of who He is. From His perspective looking down to us, He is just simply showing Himself in one way and then showing Himself in another way and then showing Himself in another way. When He came to live here as a man, as a perfect man, Would you be surprised to discover that he was praying to his God? If he came here to live as a person, he came here to eat, he came here to sleep, he came here to work, then why would you be so surprised if you found your God praying? Why would that be such a surprise? And yet people will look at that and they will say, well, how can God talk to himself? How can God pray to himself? To them, it doesn't make any sense. To them, they just can't understand that. And so they say, well, this is something that you may not be able to understand. And so it is something that you must apprehend. You may not be able to comprehend it, but you must apprehend it, otherwise you're going to go to hell. And that's how people usually try to resolve these kinds of conflicts. But I'm telling you that there is another way of looking at this. And this is from the perspective of our God looking down to us. That when he came to live as a man, he chose to live as a man. And so he may have prayed to himself, and the Father may have answered him from heaven. And that may have been a mutual communication that occurred. And so you would look at that and say, well, he's talking to himself. That doesn't make any sense to you. But consider this. Have you ever talked to yourself? I know many people that on occasion, here and there, they have actually spoken to themselves. Is that to be discounted then? Is that to be ignored? Do you think that perhaps God cannot speak with himself and reason with himself and respond to himself? If you really want to bring things down to our level and say that this cannot be done because I cannot understand it, then consider it from that point of view, that from the point of view of a person like yourself that you can probably understand in small ways that you do that, and so why would it be so surprising that he would do that? And if you think that is difficult, then consider this. How is it that the Heavenly Father can speak to multiple people simultaneously throughout the world in different contexts about different subjects? All at the same time, how can he speak to you and speak to me in prayer and in a personal way so that it can be appreciated by both you and me as we experience our relationship with our God simultaneously? How can he do that if you really want to try to grapple with something that would be difficult to understand in comparison with the Lord our God living as a man speaking and praying to himself and actually responding to himself and consider something as complex as him speaking to thousands, perhaps even millions of people simultaneously, revealing to them specifically what they need to know, hear, and understand as they continue to grow in their relationship with him. And that certainly would be quite a challenge. Now again, I'm not wanting you to think of our God in the context of a heavenly committee, in context of some collection of people such that the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are simply members of this collection, members of this heavenly committee. I don't want you to think of our God in that context. He truly is one person. He has simply revealed himself in distinct ways, using distinct names in order to describe who he is in small pieces, in small parts, so that we can grapple with him a little bit at a time. But there's no doubt that there are distinctions that are made in the scriptures. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. From our perspective, looking to him, it may be easy to think of these distinctions as different persons. But again, it's very easy to speak of tritheism when doing that, 
and you just don't want to go in that direction because that is definitely wrong. That is definitely of the devil without question. Consider John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. This is John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Referring to the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's not a distinct person, a committee member of the Godhead of God. He is the manifestation of the Creator God who is then re-indwelling within His creation, re-indwelling within you, raising you from the dead, and providing you with everything you have a need for, for life and godliness. That is your God living and indwelling within you. And so when we think of our God in the context of the one who dwells within each one of his children, who guides them and leads them into all truth, when we think of our God in that context, we can summarize him in the context of or in the description of the Holy Spirit. But this is truly, from his perspective, a manifestation revealing himself to us, a manifestation of our one God, without question. However, from our perspective, we look at this differently just because we can only understand him in finite parts, pieces at one time. Consider again in John chapter 14, verse 26. This is John chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. In John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. This is referring to our God who teaches us all things, who brings to remembrance all things, who proceeds from the Father and yet truly is the Father who is proceeding to us to testify of himself. But he is doing so in a reduced way because the fullness of who he is in dwelling in unapproachable light cannot be handled by us. And so if we are ever going to interact with him, he must reduce himself. He must restrain himself so that we can withstand him and come to know who he is. And so when we go before people presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in this context, it would be understood as identifying them or immersing them in the name of the Father, the one who has created all things. The Son, the one who has provided us with salvation through the life that he lived and the death that he died and the Holy Spirit who has been restored to us the very life of God that had been lost in Adam so that we can now begin to experience a personal interactive relationship with our God. Well, I am out of time for this broadcast, and so I will be closing this subject at this time as my attempt to be describing the Trinity. And may God continue to reveal to you the many blessings that you have received in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 
80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net